So today, um, I want to do like a sort of a freebie message just talking about something that I'm really passionate about. And, um, and I think what can happen to us sometimes is we start going through the motions of attending church on Sundays and Wednesdays, and it's easy for us to forget why we do this thing called church. And so about every six months, I'm just going to refocus you on some core values that we hold dear here at our church and every few months we'll talk about these things and, and keep on rehashing them because when I read the Bible, especially the Gospels, I notice that Jesus does something. He repeats the really, really important things, right? He repeats things over and over and over again because I know as a pastor that if you're going to remember something, it's going to be because we said it a whole bunch of times. So you're going to hear about this a lot here at TBC, but there are three um, things I want you to be aware of when it comes to being a disciple of Christ and we discuss this a lot here at the church. There are three aspects to that. The first is surrender, then community, and mission. Meaning there needs to be a time in your life, not necessarily a date or an event, but at least a moment, in, a, a time in your life where you realize that Jesus Christ is God, that he is holy, that you're not holy, that you're a sinner separated from him because of your sin, and that you need a savior. And there's a common point in your life where you say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. There should be a point where you acknowledge that and realize that in your life. We call that surrender. There's also, a, um, after you have surrendered to Christ, we also believe that you should not just live an isolated Christian life. That you should move into life with other people. We call that community. It is impossible for you to grow as a Christian by yourself. It's impossible. And so we really encourage you, we exhort you to move into um, uh, close-knit relations with other people that are like-minded and on mission for Christ. And then lastly, we have mission. And this is the idea that you don't just surrender to Christ. You don't just live um, communally with all your friends in Christianity. But it also means that you live on mission together um, as a community. And so today we're going to sort of merge these last two ideas because we're calling this missional community. And, um, and so we're talking about this topic today. As we, as we delve into these core values. And, uh, and, and while I discuss this with you this morning, um, I'm going to include some stuff from a recent talk I did in the main service last May um, that, we, that we talked about in, in 3 John. And uh, just by show of hands, how many of you guys actually go to the main service at 9.30 on Sunday mornings? Raise your hand, lift them high. So maybe about, not quite half, maybe not quite half. So some of you guys may have heard some of this before. But again, it bears repeating, doesn't it? Um, so we'll cover some of this again. So here's the setting in Acts chapter 2. Peter has just finished a sermon to a bunch of people. And in Acts 2, we find out that 3,000 people get saved as a result of his sermon, which is amazing. 3,000 new converts, new believers come to know Jesus as a result of what Peter said um, in Acts chapter 2. So look with me at Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 41. We'll start there. Verses uh, 41 to 47. And here's what it says. Where am I here? 41. So those who received his word, meaning Peter's word, were, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. 
and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here's the scene. There are 3,000 people come to know Jesus on this one day. I have no clue how big the church was before that, but now it's 3,000 people in this one area. The apostles are teaching. There is close fellowship. They are eating together, breaking bread together. They're praying for each other. Just picture this scene taking place in this area. The apostles are doing miracles. Everyone is selling their stuff, giving money to the poor. And this is not like garage sales where you keep all the money. This is like, I'm going to sell my stuff so I can give that money to people that actually have needs. There, there's some generosity that is taking place in the early church. Everyone is sharing meals together in their homes. Just imagine this scene taking place in the early church. I want you to look down at verse 47. Watch what happens in verse 47. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily. So here's what happens in this, in this story. Is that... There are people who come to know Christ, begin to live in community, and as a result of them responding to the gospel, they already begin to live on mission. And they, and they live in such a way, as a community, that unbelievers take notice. Unbelievers notice what's happening. Unbelievers look in at this kind of community, and they want to be a part of it. And so what happens after many come to know Christ is that many people, they're unbelievers, look in, and they become desirous of what they see happening in the church, in this community. And I want you to see this. You see these ideas of surrender and community and mission all throughout this passage. And I want you to get this morning, the main point I want you to get this morning is that you cannot separate mission and community. You can't separate those things. I know many of us, we come here and we're like, we're, we're fine to have our Christian friends. We're fine to have our people. We're fine to have our group. And many of us just stay put. We stay put right there because we don't get this idea that community, true community has to be missional. True community has to be a people who are living on mission together for the sake of Christ, living in that kind of missional community. You know, I think um, if you're really going to get this, you've got to understand that, that real community is always focused outward. And I understand. I mean, I, I was in high school at one point, believe it or not, a long time ago. But there was a time when I was, and I can still remember my youth pastor looking at me and my friends and saying, you know, you guys are kind of like the in crowd of our youth group. You guys are kind of like the people that people look up to in a sense. You're quote-unquote popular and I need you guys to not be thinking so much about yourselves while you're here. Like, see yourself as someone who can reach out to someone else. See yourself as someone who can go beyond just your little circle of friends that you have. And he challenged us, and it really hit home because I was looking around. I was going, you know what? He's right. I've got me and my friends. I'm, we're good. We've got our community. But there was nothing in me in high school that was like, I'm going to go reach out to that person or this person. They're not like me. Like, why, why would I do that? 
We're not in the same crowd. We're not in the same group. Why on earth would I reach out to that person? This is how I thought when I was at, at your age. And I know that many of you are there. You, you think to yourself, hey, I've got, I've got my, I have my people, I've got my group. Like, I'm good. This is just what I need. This is all I need. But I want to tell you this morning that that's not what someone else needs. That's not what someone else needs. Someone else might need more than what you are currently giving to this body here on Sundays and Wednesdays. Someone else might need more than what we are offering them as a community. And so the big idea this morning is that we've got to understand that, that community can't just be an end by itself. It's got to lead to something more. It's got to be missional as we think about community. So the question becomes, what makes this kind of community possible? Look down at verse 42 once again. We're going to key in on a certain word. It says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves. Look at that word devoted. This word devoted is a really, really important word because it comes from the Greek word, which I cannot pronounce, so I won't try to pronounce that. But this word devoted, it really means persistence and perseverance. Do you know what that implies? That implies that there's going to be a struggle to be devoted to the body of Christ. That implies that um, there's going to be a struggle. It's going to require some some grace-driven effort. There's going to be a struggle when it comes to staying devoted to the body of Christ. Because last time I checked, um, things that require persistence and perseverance are not things that are considered easy. It's usually hard things difficult things that require persistence and perseverance. Um, let's just be honest. I mean, certain things don't require devotion, do they? I mean, does TV require devotion? Does Facebook, does Twitter? Someone said yes. Okay, your favorite show maybe requires devotion. Got to carve out that time, right? Um, every week or set the DVR. But TV, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, video games, eating, does that require devotion? Eating? Sleeping in, that definitely requires devotion, right? Make sure you get your sleep. But the reason why, these things don't require devotion because they're, they're easy. They're, they're our natural default mode, right? I mean, even us, like I was sleeping in until like, this is going to sound crazy, but for a parent of, a, of two children, sometimes 8.30 a.m. over the holidays, that's late for me, all right? Really late for me. I felt like a lazy slob this holiday season, you know? And, and does that require devotion? No, it's just, it's my default mode when I eat a lot of, like, ham and turkey, okay? And so it's our default mode. So these things do not require a, a devotion because they're just our natural inclination. Other things require devotion because they're difficult. Because they're difficult. This would include relationships, friendships, and we're in New Year's resolution time, so diets and working out, those things require devotion if they're going to be successful, right? Because they're difficult. These are difficult things. Being devoted implies there's going to be a struggle. And I think so often for us, our life follows the pattern of least resistance. Especially at your age, especially in the high school age, you tend to follow, okay, whatever is easiest 
whatever is the most comfortable, this is the direction I'm going to go. This is just human nature. Like our, our life almost always follows the pattern of least resistance. And the minute, especially at your age, the minute you hit anything that's difficult or hard or uncomfortable, that moment is when you just want to bail and say, you know what, forget, forget community, forget mission, forget surrender, forget that youth group, forget that guy, that girl, forget them, because, you know what, this is just too much trouble. Like, there's no way that being in the church should be this much trouble. There's no way that being a part of the body of Christ should be this much of a struggle. It just shouldn't be like that. And so we tend to jump ship. We tend to bail on what God's called us to do. There's two things I want you to see in this passage they're devoted to. Look back in verse 42. The first thing it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. I want you to catch this, this phrase. This is really important. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, here's what that means. The apostles didn't have to entertain them. The apostles didn't have to sugarcoat what they were saying so they could make it palatable for them. The apostles didn't have to entertain them in order to get them devoted to the apostles' teaching. I've done this um, ministry, this kind of ministry for a long, long time, and I love what I do. But much of high school ministry and junior high ministry is just simply trying to get you interested and keep you interested in Jesus. That's a lot of it. And it can be exhausting. It can exhaust a pastor just trying to get you and keep you interested in the things of Jesus Christ and the gospel and faith. It can be completely exhausting for a pastor if he lets it. But for these people here, this is not what was happening. They were devoted. They weren't disengaged. They weren't bored. They weren't waiting to be entertained. You know, I own a book that's called uh, Still Bored in a Culture of Entertainment. Go to my next slide here. Um, I love the cover because it's perfect, I think, for our culture. Still Bored in a Culture of Entertainment. Because if, I went to a movie last night, and I'm just like thinking about this, and like people are sitting there, and we kind of come in, and we sit down with our Coke and our popcorn, and we just are like, okay, entertain me. Entertain me. And my wife and I are looking at the movie previews, you know, that come through, and it's so funny because there could be like this multi-million dollar film that someone has spent like years writing the script, years making this film, and they put it before our eyes, and it's got flash, it's got everything you'd want. And after the whole thing is just finished, after the preview's finished, she looks at me and she's just like, that looks dumb. <laughs> right? You do the same thing, right? You're like, that looks stupid, I'm not going to see that. This thing costs like hundreds of millions of dollars and we're just like, is that all you got? That's all you got? Pfft, I'm not going to see that. Right? Because we're, we're so picky in our culture of like entertainment and it's better be good. I'm spending 21 bucks to see a movie last night. It's better be really, really good. If it's not, I'm out. And so we begin to approach not just entertainment and restaurants. We begin to approach everything with this entertainment mindset that, you know, if it's not perfect, if it's not just what I want, then I'm gone. I'm, I'm bailing on this thing. 
And so as a result of that, this over-entertainment, like we're still bored. In spite of the fact that you have this. In spite of the fact that you have any movie you could imagine at your fingertips. How many of you guys got bored over the holidays? Raise your hand. Just lift them up. You, you know you did. Don't, don't lie. You know you did, right? And so we have this, we have this um, inclination towards boredom because I think it's, it's, it's really a spiritual soul issue. Um, here's the deal, guys. I get four years with you while you're in high school. That's it. If you come here every Sunday, which is one hour, Wednesday, two hours, we're going to spend 600 hours together in four years, which sounds like a lot. Until you make a comparison, when you hear that the average teen spends 23 hours per week watching TV and 31 hours per week online, totaling 54 hours per week of some kind of media interaction. So in four years, that is 4,700 hours of watching TV and 6,500 hours online. That's over 11,000 hours of media in four years versus 600 hours with us. That is a difference of 22 times. About 22 times more time spent just doing nothing frivolous things versus spending time in community and living on mission together. Do you catch my drift? 22 times more time doing those things versus living in missional community with other people that are following Christ. And that's if you have perfect attendance. No one has perfect attendance here, right? That's with perfect attendance here. Now, I don't throw all that at you to be like, I'm trying to guilt you into coming to church and, you know, putting your phone away. I'm not doing that this morning. I'm just trying to help you see where our devotion lies most of the time. Where our devotion lies. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Out of those two things, which is living in missional community together as a body of believers versus just spending time doing frivolous things through media and entertainment, I'm going to ask you a question. Which one is going to help you be a better husband or wife? Which one is going to help you be a better father or mother? Which one is going to help you when your mom gets cancer? Which one is going to help you when your eventual wife one day maybe says she wants a divorce? Which one is going to help you when your best friend dies in a car wreck? Which one is going to help you conquer less than pornography? Which one is going to make you more like Jesus? Because what I sense in us sometimes, we come here and we're not hungry. At least not yet. This is my biggest desire for you, is that you would come here and that you would be hungry. You would crave this. You would crave this. You would crave missional community together. These people in the early church, it says, it says they devoted, the people, get this, the people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This wasn't, yeah, the apostles worked really hard crafting a, a perfect sermon so they would be entertained and with a little bit of God thrown in. This is not what it was. This was the people, the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means they listened, they obeyed what God's 
word said. The reality is, guys, at some point, you have to just grow up and stop demanding entertainment and devote yourselves in the way that these people did in the early church. So it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but it also says something else. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And that word fellowship, when I was a kid, um, I used to hate that word because it sounded very grown up. Like, we're going we're gonna to have fellowship together. Like, what does that mean, right? It's one of those fancy kind of church words that we use sometimes as, as a church. Um, but what does it mean? This means they had everything in common. This means that they shared possessions. They shared meals. They shared relationally. This is what's meant by missional community. And so the question becomes, how does someone stay devoted to this kind of fellowship? How does someone really stay devoted to this kind of fellowship being discussed in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42? And, um, you know, when I was in, in high school and also in college, I've shared this before, but I worked, I attended a very dysfunctional church in high school. It's really amazing how I never rejected my faith after what I saw in high school. And then I worked in college for a pretty dysfunctional church. And once again, I was nervous thinking like, man, I don't want to work in a church because they're all jacked up. They're all a mess. Like, why put my family through that and hop around and just, I I want some kind of stability, right? I I want something that I can kind of hang on to here. And so um, for a while, I just wanted to bail on church. I just wanted to say, you know what, forget that. I might... I'm not going to stop attending, but I, want, I don't want to work at a church. This is how I thought. But there's something you have to understand if you're going to stay devoted to the body of Christ. And it's this idea that the church has two natures to it. It is glorious, but it's also messy. And it, very often at the, at the same time, right? In the body of Christ, you can often feel like things are glorious, but also a complete and utter disastrous mess all at the same time and if you don't understand like these two truths that can coexist about the church you're going to want to bail on the church whenever you encounter the mess of community you know both the churches I grew up in there was a lot of mess but there was still something glorious in spite of the mess I mean I met some really cool people some amazing people that I'm still close to to this day and I never came to understood the concept of, of the church being glorious but also a mess at the same time until my wife gave me this article that she had from a professor of hers in college. His name is Tom Varney, and he wrote an article called Sacred Discontent. And I read through this article. I was with a really tough time at that point in my church in college. And in this article, he talks about how the church is both messy and glorious. And I'm sure that um, you felt this way. You have felt very maybe blessed but also very bitter at the church. And sometimes you can feel that way at the exact same moment, right? And so there's some quotes I want to read to you this morning that are from that article that I read many, many years ago. And the first quote is by a guy named Eugene Peterson, and he says this. He says, The church is both an instrument of God's work and at the same time a culturally bound monument to human fallenness. The church is a culturally bound monument to human fallenness. So whenever someone says to me, 
you know, yeah, I can't be a Christian because, you know, Christians are jacked up. I'd say, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. In fact, you're saying something that's actually in the Bible. The Bible says that. Jesus says that. Jesus agrees with what you're saying. This is why we need him. And and so the point isn't that like Christians are, we display this perfection in ourselves to the world. That's not the point of, of the church. The point is that we are like this monument to human fallenness for the world to see. But the point isn't for it to point to us anyway, right? It's the point to Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of it is that our fallenness should hopefully point to his redemption. That's the point of it. And so for many of you, if all you do is focus on people's sin here at the Outback or people's sin, the mess of Christianity, the mess of community, you're going to miss out on some work that God wants to do in your life as a result. Next quote he says, he says, many of those who criticize the church do so on the basis of an ideal. They set up an abstract picture of the church and then criticize the real church when it fails to resemble the fantasy. We are humans and our communities reflect our humanity at its best and our worst. And so what you and I often do is we set up this idea, this ideal of the church of this is the way things are supposed to be. And when things fall short of that, we tend to jump ship. We tend to bail when things don't meet our fantasy ideal in our minds and so at times I think you and I we don't engage in community because we know there's going to be some disappointment next quote is by Dietrich Bonhoeffer he says this he says he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter so for the person that has this ideal in their mind of what things are supposed to look like Many people will have this idea, and they love that idea of community more than the people themselves. And if that is us, then you're going to be a destroyer of the very community you claim to adhere to and and want to promote. You will destroy the church from within if you just live by that only idea. Because here's what it implies. If you're someone that is always judging other people and saying, well, you know, this person did this, this person did that, therefore I'm out. Do you know what you're really saying about yourself when you do that? You're saying that you're not part of the problem. You're saying that you're above the problem. You're saying that, you know, it's all of those people. It's not me. Like, it couldn't be me. I mean, how self-righteous is that? How arrogant is that? for us to think that way. The next quote that he says is actually by the author himself. Um, He says, uh, people who do not understand the dual nature of relationships will never succeed at them. If there's one quote to write down today, please write this down. People who do not understand the dual nature of relationships will never succeed at them. Because it's not just the church that has these two natures, is it? I mean, all relationships have these two natures of of glorious and mess. Friendship, messy, and glorious. Do you agree with that? Right? Friendship is messy and glorious. Marriage, I speak from experience, marriage is messy and glorious. My wife and I disagree sometimes. 
especially when she's wrong, right? So messy and glorious, marriage is that way, friendship is that way. Um, and, and so if you and I come to friendship, we come to marriage, we come to the church, expecting all glory and no mess, then we're going to never be successful at any of those things. It's the person that can't understand that these two things work together for God's glory somehow, by his grace, glory and mess, glory and mess, that um, it's this kind of person that understands the dual nature of those things. That's the kind of person that is successful at friendship and marriage and can function in the church properly. This is the person that gets it. And if you don't understand that, you're always going to think everything is everyone else's fault. It's never your own fault. I love you guys, but you are typically the first ones to jump ship. Like if you were to look at a body of believers, a church, a cross-section of a church, the high school students would typically be the ones who would be the first ones to jump ship when things go awry. That's just the way it is. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I was there too. I was totally there as well. But that's just what tends to happen at your stage of life. And so in this article, this man, this, art, this article he writes, um, the actual title of it is, is called Sacred Discontent. And he defines sacred discontent. He basically says that um, if we're going to function properly in the church, then you've got to have what's called a sacred discontent, but still remain devoted to the church. So it's not, it's not turning a blind eye to the mess. It's not turning a blind eye to the mess and saying, yeah, yeah, it doesn't exist. We're not going to think or talk about that. That's not what sacred discontent is. It's, um, here's how he defines it. He says, sacred discontent is a godly and productive disillusionment that accepts both the reality of sin and the future hope of God. And so what he's saying is that if we're going to function in the midst of these two natures, glory and mess, we've got to have this thing called a sacred discontent. This is not a cynical discontent, which says, I'm done with church, I'm going to bail, I'm going to jump ship. That's, sin is, that's cynical discontent. Sacred discontent is to understand and acknowledge the mess, the sin in the body of Christ, the mess, the sin in yourself, the mess and the sin in all of your friendships, but to stay committed to it, to stay devoted to it, to say, you know what, missional community, Jesus is a lot more important than my little whims and preferences. I'm going to stay committed to the body of Christ no matter what. It doesn't mean you ignore the mess of the body of Christ. And so this year, I'm asking you guys to really plug in here and devote yourselves. If you're someone who is, you're kind of in the margins, you're like, maybe you're just kind of checking things out. I'm sorry to kind of come so strong this morning, but Happy New Year. And, uh, um, but I want you to understand that we're serious about this thing called following Jesus. And um, I want you to understand this morning that being devoted indicates a struggle, implies a struggle. It's going to be hard, difficult, um, but I want you to see how this can play out in a real life story because about a month and a half ago, one of our students, I don't know, is Ashley Walker here this morning? Is she here? I don't think she's here today, but she goes to Holland High School. Anybody that goes to Holland here today, Holland High School? Um, 
Ashlyn Kennard, she's not here today either. So Ashley Walker, she's a senior at Holland High School. And another girl that goes here named Ashlyn uh, Kennard, she um been going here for a while. And Ashlyn invited Ashley to come to um, our youth group. And they're both seniors, by the way. And it's really rare for a senior to start something new. Because most of the time you're just like, hey, I'm going to college. Like, who cares? Like, I'm not going to get plugged in yet. It's just, no, what's the point, right? But Ashley began coming and attending here along with her friend Jessica from Holland High School. And Ashlyn invited them. Ashlyn kind of got them plugged in here. And then I noticed something that Ashley started saying, hey, well, um, I want to get baptized. And so about a month ago, um, I went to uh, Darby Ham's house, and they had a baptism thing for Ashley at Darby's house with the girls that they're a part of, the, the same small group, the same G group on Sunday evenings. And I was blown away because I was like, wait, this girl is brand new to our church. She just started coming. She um, started taking her faith seriously this past year and said, I want to get baptized. And I said, well, let's, that's great. Let's find a house. She goes, well, I've actually been going to this small group at someone's house. And I'm like, wait, so you, you're brand new to the church. You recently became a Christian. You want to get baptized. And you're attending a G group on Sunday nights. At these, these other girls don't even go to your school. And she says, yeah. And I said, and they've welcomed you in? She's like, yeah, they've been great. And I'm going, that's awesome. That's just what I want to see here. And so here I go to this house. And there are other girls there that go to, you know, Belton and CDCS and other schools. And they have welcomed these girls from a different school into their group. And they meet and they fellowship, read the Bible together, they pray together. It's just amazing to see that play out in life and go, you know what? This is what we're talking. This is missional community at work. This is the way it's supposed to happen. So I say that to encourage you this year to stay devoted to this kind of teaching, this kind of fellowship as we start this new year. Go ahead and discuss your questions at your tables.